Warning, what you're about to hear may contain mature language, adult situations, and depictions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. Well, 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 welcome back to the Trash Heap Podcast, everybody. It's me, Elliot, joined by Keith. Keith, how you doing? Howdy, partner. It's another day in paradise. It sure is. What is this show, Keith? What do we do here? Oh, yeah, this is the show where we're uh, out to prove once and for all there are no garbage movies, only garbage opinions, and we're giving those discarded gems a second chance. And boy, howdy, do we have one for you today. That is correct. We're talking about a movie from 1983 directed by Michael Mann of Miami Vice. Allegedly. Well... Of Michael Mann, yeah, of Miami Vice, Heat, you know. Uh, this is almost a movie, and it was almost directed by someone, and it was almost, it was almost made by a crew, almost. <laughs> <laughs> um, it stars Gabriel Byrne, Scott Glenn, Ian McKellen, that guy from Das Boot, uh, Jurgen. Jurgen Prack now. Yeah. I can't believe you're. That's your guy. And I, I could never remember his name. I thought you were gonna say his name first and with uh, your whole chest. But wait, man, he's my really, guy. Yeah. Well, Whenever we watch movies like uh, I don't know, Judge Dredd or something like that, you're always like Jurgen Prack now. You're excited to say his name and yeah, I'm let everybody to... know you know who he is. I'm excited to see if I can get it right without sounding like an asshole. This is uh, a hell of a cast. Holy shit. Yes. Every time a new face... This is my first time watching The Keep, and every time a new face popped up, I was like, my jaw hit the floor. This is not my first time. I've seen this movie several times. And it is, he's, he directed this in between... Michael Mann directed this in between Thief uh, with James Cotton, which was his theatrical he'd done i think some tv movies prior to that but it was his theatrical debut which was a big critically acclaimed hit and then he did and then after the keep he did manhunter which is the first adaptation of a hannibal lecter uh story from the from the novels and this movie is not acclaimed like those ones are well uh in, in defense of critics, I suppose, uh, it, maybe if he would have finished this one, it would have been <laughs> received a little more warmly. <laughs> well, Where's the how... rest? I don't know. Give I, me so my I... movie. Okay, so before we get into all that, the plot of this movie is it's World War II, 1941. Sure is. 1941. Some Nazis roll into Romania. Uh, and they take over this uh, keep, which is like a fortified castle tower, because um, they want to use it for a, strate- a strategic area to block off this pass that would be like a place where troops would want to go through to get to another place. Um, oh, that's a good explanation, because what this movie doesn't do is explain right off the bat what a keep is. So if you don't know... You're a little confused about just what the fuck this structure is. I mean, but they go into it and, like, we're taking over the keep and they walk into a castle. I mean, if you, if you don't know what a keep is, you can extrapolate that it's some sort of castle or castle-adjacent type of building. To me, Usually, it felt like a tomb or a bank vault. It didn't feel like there was another way out the back. Right. But there should be, right? Because you would need to pass through it in order to get to the other side. 
Well, so no, no, uh, normally keeps, to my understanding, were more commonly structures within a castle. So within the castle walls, it would there was a, a fortified tower which was kind of like the the last stand place. Like if your walls have been breached, you need some last place to, to tr- retreat and defend from. You go to the keep. Okay. Right? Um, so where's the rest of the castle? Well, that's what I'm saying. This one does not appear to have that. Yeah. It, you know, there's in a small village. So it is like kind of like, I think it's the, rather than it being the castle's last place of defense, it's the, you know, it's solely for the village. Right. Um, but we also find out that the keep has a different purpose, which they say, it doesn't seem like this keep was made to keep something out, but rather to keep something in. So, yeah, it is perhaps really perhaps structured a little bit differently than most keeps. I love that um, the um, you got these uh, spooky, almost monk-type caretakers of the yeah. keep that give us a lot of like spooky exposition uh, pretty straight away in the opening of the movie. But they they let us know, like, you know, as these soldiers come to, uh, to occupy the keep, they say, hey, you can't stay here. And they're like, uh, who's going to stop us? And they're like, well, no one, but no one stays here. Right. And he's like, well, why is that? And he's like, because of bad dreams. But we find right. out pretty quickly that it is not bad dreams. It is a sort of a physical manifestation of supernatural phenomenon. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, it has a name, that manifestation. Yeah, it does. Um, but yeah, so like the Nazis take it over, take over this keep. They start messing around. Some Nazi, you know, flunkies are up to no good trying to steal some silver crosses that are bedded into the wall. And in doing so, they unleash a force that they could not comprehend or anticipate. Yeah, malevolent in the, force. In the name of Radu Molisar. He starts out as a cloud and then turns into guts and then turns into kind of like this golem-esque figure. Uh, a big like jacked up bodybuilder type. Yeah, made, cool. made of stone or metal or something that crushes heads. And we'll get more into the specifics of that, but that's the basic. Now, one Set. of the, the important pieces of this whole story too is there are two types of Nazis. There are yeah. the good Nazis denoted by their <laughs> gray type uniforms and there are bad Nazis who are dressed in black and have the bright red armband. Just yeah. so you know. I don't know if there's good or you know good <laughs> Nazis in this. I think there's a pragmatic Nazi and a like crazy Nazi. There's a nice guy who doesn't want to kill Romanian villagers and he's in command of the non-armband Nazis. So, yes. And the, <laughs> so he the the quote-unquote nice guy Nazi is played by Jurgen Prochnow. Gabriel Byrne plays the evil Nazi. But Jurgen Prochnow is not like I don't think he is really a good guy. He's just not completely insane because at the beginning of the movie, he, he like he even has a line about how we've taken over Poland and France and we're securing our place as the masters of the world, right? Like he is fully on the It's true. The, He's a true believer. Right, the uh, the Nazi Nazi world domination agenda. He just doesn't believe in killing villagers for no reason, right? Yeah, see, he understands that if you're gonna rule, 
you have to have subjects. You can't just right. kill everybody and then say, "Well, I'm in charge of you know nothing right. and nobody." Yeah. So I don't. Yeah, I don't consider him necessarily a quote unquote good <laughs> by comparison to Gabriel Byrne, <laughs> yeah. who just shows up and is just like, "Let's kill them all. Let's. This will be fun." You know. Yeah. He, just... he immediately he sh- rolls into town and is like, "We're going to execute three right. people just so people know what we're about." <laughs> I mean, but I mean, also like if you do read like actual accounts, because he's like uh, Gabriel Byrne's character is in the SS, and they literally did put the psychopaths in charge of that, and it was all right. like the. Like the the people who were, you know, like weird complexes who were like, like want like were like wanted to be serial killers and now had the opportunity to do so with, with a uh, reckless abandon and no and no risk of consequences. Yeah, very um, sadistic. Uh, so and like I also think it's interesting you you brought up the colors of their uniforms. I was reading in something, you know, reading trivia about the movie that. Uh, when the this events of this took place, like in 1941, the SS were not wearing black uniforms yet. They were wearing green uniforms, like everybody else. Yeah. But it was, but despite that historical inaccuracy, Michael Mann decided to put them in the black uniform so everyone would be able to make the distinction between the SS and just the regular rank and file. Yeah, and I think here in a visual medium, I think it's it works just fine. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's also like when you talk about. I think when you talk about like historical accuracy in in a uh, in films, there's different there's different ways of conveying accuracy because there's one there's just the technical accuracy and then there's the, also the emotional accuracy, right? Yeah. I was thinking about this when I was watching uh, the Northman, right? And uh, did you ever see that? I have not watched it yet. No. Uh, Peter Skarsgård, or no, Alexander Skarsgård, is absolutely jacked in that movie, right? Yeah. He's gigantic, and no, no Viking looked like that, right? No, these guys were like five seven. They probably like they looked more like they were big dudes for their time, but they probably looked more like you and me, right? Yeah, they're like had um, farmer strength, right? They were probably right. stuffed bellies and you know big arms. Yeah, and it's like, but you know, if you're one of these guys who is just like what today would be a normal sized person attacking a village of malnourished, like the you know who people who like got stunted in child growth uh how do you convey the visual terror of that well like well you have to make him completely jacked right well yeah how do you communicate that this is a his purpose in life is to be a warrior right right that's how you illustrate that idea so that creates an emotional accuracy to the times even if it's an attack technical inaccuracy yeah i think the same applies here uh, yeah, the war is just a backdrop, and yeah. overall the point is about you know the evil that men do and and power right. and things like that. And so the war, World War Two, is a is a a good backdrop for that. But it becomes less and less about the war, even though I mean there is like a really interesting scene where some crucial characters are retrieved from a death camp, mm-hmm. uh, which was that was kind of a. a a really like it just ratchets up, ratchets up the tension kind of yeah. in every scene because you don't know what to expect like anyone could die at any moment right based on well, the circumstances I mean, yeah there's like when when the uh when the uh, nazis at the at the keep start getting killed off by this malevolent force and at first they think it's just partisans uh breaking in and doing a little killing you know yeah exploding people's heads yeah they find this ancient text uh, scrolled on the wall 
and like one of the the priests is all like it looks like Romanian but it's not it's some ancient language that's been dead for years and like like who could read this you know and he goes like well there was a professor who was born in this town and he came back and made his he you know studied this keep he might be able to do it and they ask, oh, that's like, well, where can we find him? And he's like, well, he's a Jew, so wherever you put, the, wherever you're putting them. So that's when they go and get Ian McKellen's character from yeah. the death camp um, to come and study the study the writing and try to determine who's who's doing this. Um, so yeah, there is this. You said like, oh, this movie would be great if it was finished and all this stuff. This movie was legendarily uh, plagued by production troubles and editing and whatnot and yeah running out of money the death of an effects supervisor right a lot of finger pointing of like who's to blame for the movie not coming out um but beyond all that to me one of the reasons why i really enjoy this movie is beyond all those problems that it has what's at the foreground and what this movie really about is about like tone and vibe and feeling right style and right out of the gates, we are delivered that, right? And, you know, there's a lot of movies that make a whole lot less sense than this. They have a lot worse sound mixing and stuff that people rave about as absolute classics. You know, like a lot of the Italian horror movies. Like, you know, I've talked, I know I've talked about this before, but like, yeah, with the Argento stuff and like whatnot, like those movies don't make any fucking sense. They are plagued by, you know, issues with sound mixing and, all this other stuff. But the, the assumption always is, is that was the exact vision of Argento. So therefore it must be perfect. When, so then when you hear about production troubles, I think it makes a lot of people go like, Oh, this movie's crap. But not, but even though it's tonally very similar to these other ones that are get hailed as being absolute classics. I think that's true. I just think that in this case, there was a discernibly like it, it yeah. was like so obvious because of the way the movie jumps around. Yeah, that's true. Uh, it, it just is, like, visibly unfinished. Yeah. I mean, amongst the finger-pointing of who's to blame, right, of this Scott movie, like, Glenn, stand up and take your right, punishment. Yeah. Well, honestly, why is this... Sometimes, like, why is this character even in the movie? Except Where did for, like, his eyebrows go? Someone yeah, had to just, hold the enchanted pole at the end. Right. <laughs> well, it's like that. He's like, yeah, he is more of a... Of a a device. He's more of a MacGuffin than a character, right? Well, apparently he had, in the original, quote-unquote, original version of the movie, he had a lot more scenes and backstory. And then yeah. even in the TV version, he has about, I don't know, five or six extra minutes that, like, do a little bit more for him. But, yeah, right, in whatever version I watched, he was just... He showed up out of nowhere. He said some weird cryptic stuff. He had a wild sex scene that ended with a Christ pose, and then, yeah. uh, then he shows up in the climax to, uh, you know, shoot an enchanted pole at the monster and yeah. vanquish and, it and, and bleed neon green like the Predator. That was sick, actually. That was yeah. probably my favorite scene with him. So yeah, in terms of like the the what it, well, like how long it, original cut of this movie and stuff, this is one of those movies that has like the legends of it is that the original cut is three and a half hours long, yeah. which I don't believe. Right, just straight up. Like, you hear about that a lot. Like, the original cut of this movie was five hours, and they cut it down to an hour and a half. I'm like, I think most of the time they're talking about, like, the, the working edit of a movie. Yeah, or just, like, a rough cut, which is not right, intended which is to like, be seen by anybody. Right, which is, like, when you just take the part from, like, where they say, okay, action, 
and then the scene set up and then like multiple takes and they all kind of get edited together. Yeah. You, you just know? assembled the footage. Right. You know, cause it's like, I guarantee you, I guarantee studios don't pay for that. They're not going to approve a script. That's going to be a four and a half hour, like sci-fi fantasy action movie and then cut it down and then let them shoot all that stuff and cut it down to an hour and a half. That's just not how like movie producing works. Right. So, Probably so. After the three and a half hour cut, there was a two hour cut that screened to test audiences. And from that, and the studio was like, We don't like this. From that two hour cut came an hour and 36 minute cut. So I believe the original cut was probably closer to the genuine original, you know, director's cut was probably closer to the two hours rather than the three and a half. Yeah. Um, that that the that the legend claims. Also, in terms of like, yes, you said like the super, the effects supervisor died in the filming of it, who was like this old legendary effects supervisor. And they said that they couldn't figure out how we planned the composite, the shots together, you know? And so that's why a lot of the, uh, they, the stuff kind of looks a little wonky. And uh, also, allegedly, uh, Michael Mann could not decide what, how he wanted the look of the monster to be so it was constantly changing and they were filming stuff without it there and like that was another problem so in terms of like oh was it studio interference and editing it down but like also it sounds like man couldn't make a lot of decisions on you know that about it and this is a very different type of movie for him so he might have just been like kind of like shooting at the hip a lot yeah it's definitely an experience because that monster issue is something you hear read about quite a bit where young filmmakers and writers want to create this, oh, I want it to be an abstract, conceptual thing that no one's ever seen before. All right, well, what the fuck does that look like? Yeah. (laughs) Like, that happens so often, and it, like, it's becomes such a trapping, and it does, it creates those types of big problems. And I mean, like, uh, the John Carpenter's The Thing, for example... Uh, John Carpenter worked closely with Rob Bottin, uh and the the source material, the uh, Who Goes There story, in order to achieve those looks. And they got very lucky. Like that's why it's so right. special because it's they were able to actually hone something down. But in this case, yeah, it it went from this like very abstract idea into just being a big like golem, muscular stone statue type thing. Which I actually well, think is fine. I think it's yes. kind of kind of cool, but it they started out so ambitious that it did result in just problems across the board. I mean, I think also though it's like two things. A couple things about that is with the John Carpenter and and Rob Oteen thing. It's like they knew what they wanted to do, though, right? They've talked they talked at length like like when we were approaching this, we knew we wanted it to be like this and we wanted it to do do that and this was the the vision we had to create this thing you've never seen before. When you hear a lot of these other people talking about it, it's like I wanted to create something ethereal, right? And when you say something ethereal and dreamlike, well that's a tone and a vibe, but not necessarily a visual representation. So unless you have the words to communicate that to your effects supervisor or your effects supervisor is somehow magically on the same page as you you know, about what ethereal means, uh, you're going to come up with something kind of wonky. So I don't think it's complete luck in the John Carpenter and Rob Bottin aspect. I think it was the fact that they really solidified their vision for it before proceeding, you know. 
and then they weren't and they weren't changing their mind along the way. They were just like, no, this is what it's going to be. But I agree with you that I actually really like the uh, the look of of the creature, and also the evolution of it because it just kind of does start out as like this beam of light, and then that kind of turns to a cloud of smoke, and then that cloud of smoke gets kind of this uh, glowing like nervous system structure within it, and that turns to because as he kills more Nazis, he kind of can consumes their energy right and that's how right. he rebuilds himself and that kind of turns to this beast made of like muscle and guts and veins you know and then finally in its final form is this you know like i said golem-esque creature of you know that is just like a looks to be made of stone or metal or something and while the uh some of the effects themselves are a little cheap looking not even cheap looking but like very like costume looking like you know yeah it's just inconsistent some of the effects look really cool and good and then others are real clunky they don't have like the grounded reality that the rest of the movie does you know yeah when i say grounded i don't mean necessarily realistic you know but because the movie is a very like dreamlike vibe to it throughout even before the supernatural stuff starts happening but grounded to like just the world that the movie itself has created. It seems they seem a little bit out of like slightly in something else. And it wouldn't have taken that much tweaking to keep creep the keep the same concept, but make it fit a little bit better within the movie we are watching. You yeah. Know? I do love yeah. the the effect when the soldiers die where the sort of the life energy is sucked out of their eyes and then their heads explode. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah, really or like cool. when the, or that one where he's like kind of throws him in through the air and he just like his body just kind of like deflates. Oh yeah, that's really cool. So I think yeah, to me this this movie really excels in all those things. And I remember the first time I watched this movie, like I didn't I didn't really know what it was. I mean I was just like oh Michael Mann made this weird like monster movie horror movie, you know in the eighties and I watched it and I was just like blown away to a certain degree not i mean obviously like yes there are the problems you mentioned but then that is a that is apparent but i was just like this movie is so fucking cool and like, like the whole time watching it the first time i was like i don't know what the fuck's gonna happen like something weird's gonna happen and it keeps it and you know it just keeps building upon that and i was just like when i was done i was just like satisfied completely satisfied despite any 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 flaws whatsoever and i particularly maybe just partially because like I was not expecting this movie from Michael Mann, so that was also just kind of a a unique experience. It is amazing to be able to go back and look at when you know a director or any type of artist for a certain body of work or maybe their highest level work, but then you go back and look at their earlier stuff and what they were doing when they were young and sort of the kind of first steps and kind of wild creative ideas and them honing their craft and kind of figuring things out. Like, that's mm-hmm. always a lot of fun. Like, I actually, I really want to watch Thief also. Uh, yeah. I've always been curious about that, especially as a lot of people reference it uh, in relation to Drive. Yeah. And so uh, just based on that, I'm, I'm curious about it as well. But it really is like, it, like you talked about some of the, the Italian movies and things like that. The whole mood of the thing definitely has that with kind of the synth soundtrack rather than Mm -hmm. an orchestral soundtrack and then just the kind of the pervasive darkness and fog and then also the backlighting of things like they just the lighting style of everything 
uh, I think really matches up with a lot of uh, movies in Italy at that time. Right. But it is well, it is such an exercise in style, and it really remind if there's a modern counterpart to me, it has a lot in relation to Mandy. Like I would, so if someone is is a fan of Mandy, I would recommend they go back and watch this movie because even though yeah it is clunky clunky and has problems when it's good it's great right and when it's bad it's bad but the great stuff yeah. is definitely like outweighs that and is worth seeing i think yeah it has kind of that similar vibe you're right like i mean honestly if you just watch like the director of mandy's if you watch his other movie in the episode of uh uh cabinet curiosities did it's like there's pretty much no question that he's highly influenced by Italian horror and fantasy cinema and, you know, this kind of, like, 80s vibe of, like, this era of Michael Mann and William Friedkin and, and stuff. It's like, it's, I mean, he wears those influences on his sleeve, but not in a bad way. I think he he's just, like, taking them and making them his own. Um, this movie, to me, like, we talked about uh, The Church, that movie The Church, not too long ago on the show. And uh, there's a lot of, which is an Italian horror movie. And there's a lot of similar DNA between that movie and uh, The Keep, I think. And I, which I'd never really kind of thought about before, but I, I never watched them this close together before either, you know. Um, and not just in the fact that it's a building created to keep an ancient evil trapped inside. But it would be, an, it would be that would be an interesting double feature, I think, is The Keep and The Church together. What yeah, there think? is definitely some connective tissue especially when they start going underground one of the interesting things about the geography of the keep is i like i always felt lost like i never right. really knew where i was at any given time and right. i think that actually Which is good works. yeah i think that works yes. it, it kind of bothered me at first but then it i felt like it really worked in the movie's favor and even when they're you're talking about talismans and escaping and the the creature walking out the front door to terrorize humanity and whatever uh i think it still worked out i was like where are we what are we doing uh i see the door at least you know because they would uh, they would backlight it and it would just be this bright white opening you know what i mean so like to their credit the stuff that was essential to know was pretty obvious yeah i think too it's like you look at when you film, when you see the keep from the outside, uh, the, the structure is, I mean, it's big, but it's not that big. Right. And then once you're inside of it, it seems limitless, you know, it's like, it's like entering a labyrinth, uh, and thematically and visually and tonally, I, it, it completely works within the, the structure of this story, particularly when they, you know, start digging away and like they, at the, at the silver cross at the beginning, the Nazis are trying to steal that and they, pull it out of the wall and discover just that it opens up to a bottomless pit, essentially into the bowels of earth. All this adds to this kind of this level of mystique and fairy tale esque aspect of it. And so this not, this movie is based on a novel that came out a couple years before this. And Michael Mann said it, it interested him because he felt the, he, he felt the potential to make it into this movie that is like a, a dream aspect and he said something that irritates him in horror a lot is that the the need to explain what's going on and often the, some sort of like lame pseudoscience is used to, for the explanation he just he wanted to create a movie that just had no explanation but just had that kind of concept of a dream you know 
that you wake up in the middle of. Uh, and I, you know, like, I don't necessarily hate when in a horror movie they explain what's going on if it's done well. But I do think there's often an over sense of a need to explain how a ghost is able to do something. Like, well, it's a fucking ghost. That's how it's that's how it's done, you know. Or like, explaining need... the total backstory of the ghost, right? right? Yes. Oh, they were killed in such a way, and here's why they did it. Right. This is just like, oh, this is some kind of malevolent, you know, supernatural being, and yeah. we can't trust it, and we've we've just discovered it, right? That the element of just like stumbling upon something that you don't understand, like that's yeah. the that's the terror. Yeah. But like, you know, yeah, like I thought of Prince of Darkness. I was like, well, that's an yeah. explanation that I really like, even yes. if it doesn't necessarily work or whatever, or if it has holes right. in it. I think the explanation is actually scarier than just leaving it uh, open to interpretation. I mean, it totally can work. And I mean, especially, you know, I think it's kind of cool uh, when those explanations are very thoughtful and end up making it make more sense. But it's like, it's like, how is this able to go? The ghost is jacking in through the internet and that's how it's able to kill you. <laughs> if you log on to your, you know, and it's like, it's using, uh, you know, like electric waves sent through internet signals to, to transfer from one place to the next. Like that's where it can get kind of goofy and that goofiness can be fun sometimes. And sometimes it's just kind of like, ugh, you know, I, yeah. but yeah, I think obviously it kind of just depends on what kind of story you're telling. But I do think while those things can work, yeah, there is the, often this over-reliance and this feeling of like, well, we got to explain and not just in horror movies. And sometimes it's just like, you know, like we've talked about this before. Like it seems like someone needs to point out and say, that's the bad guy. And then if you don't say that's the bad guy, there's this worry that people won't understand that he's the bad guy, even though he's doing bad things. So I appreciate that aspect of the movie. What do you think of like, just in kind of in general, how do you feel about Michael Mann as a director? You know, not uh, just... it seems pretty good. Yeah, he's pretty <laughs> seems good. Seems like he knows what he's doing. Well, you know, but yes, he does, right? But I also kind of feel like you know, when we talk about the 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 you know the the the, the legends of troubled background and the finger point of who fucked this movie up, and like, yes, obviously there was studio interference, but at the same time, you hear some stuff that's kind of like questionable, and I also think sometimes Michael Mann left to his own creative devices isn't always great either. Like, for instance... Well, in yeah, the, how many movies has he written and directed? Probably, like... Because that was like, the like, case here. Th this was his second, like, full-on, like, feature movie, other than, like, a TV thing. And then... I think he's maybe... I think he's, like, maybe around less than 10, like, movie movies. and a lot of TV as well. Uh, um, but, you know... I think he's, you know, you watch Manhunter and that movie is amazing and awesome. And, you know, I know people really talk about Heat. I only saw Heat once and it was like around the time it would come out. I honestly don't really remember it that well. It's one of those ones I always mean to revisit. But also at the same time, you know, like I think he's made some questionable choices, like stylistic choices. Like in, like in the early 2000s, he gets really into digital cameras, right? Yeah. And like digital cameras of that era, right? Which is like, they look, you know, they kind of, the one kinds where it kind of looks like you're watching things on a, a surveillance tape. Right? Well, yeah, shooting things at night and like the frame rate is dropping in order right. to accommodate the low light. And so you get like a weird, 
it it looks bad. Like Miami Vice, like there's mm-hmm. tons of shots in that movie that look incredible, but then there's others that just look like fucking yeah. like they were shot on like a flip phone. Yes. And I think in a movie like Collateral, uh, which is actually one of my favorite movies of his, he does that. And I think it really works in that movie because that movie is everything is like shot so uptight and close and in confined spaces. And like you have the blowout of the neon lights from like you know the clubs and the streets that they're driving around in, and they're all blown out because of the the resolution of the uh, of the cameras they're using. And in that, it, I think it actually works really well, and it has kind of like this documentary esque feel to it, and it feels like you're kind of just right there driving around in the cab with these guys as they're going from place to place, killing people. Um, then he uses then he uses it in a movie like Public Enemies. You know, which is a period piece with like these big, like huge, like sweeping shots that are supposed to convey scope and scale and landscape and depth. And it doesn't work at all, you know, because one, it's just like, I think that style of digital camera really points out that you're watching something filmed with technology, with a machine. And it just also doesn't convey that, that type of imagery, like large scope sweeping shots well at all i think they look ends it makes them look incredibly flat and bland yeah definitely i will say though last of the mohicans is Mm. a movie that i have seen i don't know probably like 20 times in my life really and uh, that's that's another one i saw like when i was a little kid when it came out and i need to watch again it's just a a frequently aired movie and i remember i was we watched it at school if i'm not mistaken and as far as like the presentation of the uh, that period and everything, like it is very impressive in terms of its uh, scope. And you know, you can you know argue about the storytelling, but within that film, there are subplots and uh, lesser stories that are fascinating and enthralling and mm-hmm. exciting. Tons of great moments. Yeah, um, that you know. You know, a lot of people say are overshadowed by the a corny love story and whatever, but it's a it's a very impressive piece of filmmaking. So nice. I'll, yeah. I'll go to bat for that one. Uh, and then I I mean I haven't seen movies like The Insider or Ollie or um, they're Black, fine. Black Hat or Ferrari or any of that stuff. But yeah, I mean I think Ollie won like a a boatload of oscars if i'm not mistaken i you know i don't really actually think it did i think it was nominated for stuff but i don't really think it won much and i remember seeing that i think it was fine insider is fine i never saw black hat insider uh, was nominated for seven academy awards yes yes so that seems to be the the big darling yeah i mean i maybe should like i mean that's one to revisit you know but like at the time just thinking it was just i remember thinking it was just okay you could and, argue that the keep is is maybe his worst movie just by know. just by glancing at all of this at, stuff. at a glance but i mean like i mean i think it's better than miami vice which i actually like the, the miami vice movie i think it's pretty good i yeah. i think you know for me with the keeps with the keep it's just like maybe it's his technically like worst put together movie you know there's there's more technical flaws and you know sound mixing issues yeah the worst and, overall result i yeah. would say yeah, actually, you know what? Public Enemies is, I would say, is that is unquestionably out of the movies of his that I've seen, which is only there's only a couple that I haven't, and yeah. some of them I've seen but a really long time ago. So, uh, 
I don't really remember them that well, but Public Enemies is a movie that to me just does not work. Um, and has a lot of issues in its execution and the stylistic choices it makes that kind of create this kind of like really bland. It's something that should, it's kind of weird where it's just kind of like something that's flashy, but bland at the same time, you know? Uh, And I know black hat's supposed to be pretty bad, but I haven't, I haven't seen that. Um, uh, But this movie, like, to me, like even like you watch bad transfers of this movie, like a bad VHS transfer of of the keep, and it still looks really good, you know. And yeah, in terms of capturing that, like I said at the beginning, like this movie is all about tone and vibe, and it's like, well, that's what this movie is, and it does it. It sets out what it means to do in that, despite technical flaws. So for that, I have to, you know, I have to. I can't say that it's his his worst movie. You know, no, or, his I would, worst it's made, or his worst, a, or his worst made movie. You know, it's definitely a uh, watch this movie, but don't watch it too close type uh-huh. uh, type situation. <laughs> I don't know. Like once again, I said I've seen this movie multiple times, and I really enjoy it. Like it's not. I've probably seen this movie like <coughs> four or five times. There are like, extra three or, scenes. Three or four times. Uh, floating around on YouTube from the TV mm-hmm. version and then some cut stuff. I mean, I think it all approximates to about 10 to 12 minutes total. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of, it is kind of worth watching if uh, you're into that type of thing. So I would recommend searching around for the okay yeah. the extra business. I mean, it would be interesting to see like a full restored, direct, you know, quote unquote director's cut. Yeah. Of the movie Has that will pro- probably never going to happen. No, I would love to see though. Hey, Panos Cosmatos, what are you up to? Okay, yeah, t- like, t- take a crack at this one. Come on. I mean, that's that is is actually a thing. Like, despite what I'm saying about like this movie, like this is a movie that is prime for a, like an auteur's remake. You yeah. know, and not like a studio saying like, let's see if we can find some more juice in the keep, right? But like someone who's all like, you know, what movie I really liked. And no one else does the keep. I want to remake it and and recreate that you know vision. Like or also like it's based on a novel and yeah, just take it straight from the source material. You know, I think there's a lot more. Uh, I know there's a lot of stuff that was excised from the novel even before the movie was cut down, but just in the adaptation itself. You know that the that the uh, the, that the 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 monster is more of a vampire the vampiric aspects of the monster are a lot more apparent in the novel. Um, and it's more of a blending of the, of the Gollum story and the, and the, and some sort of like ancient vampire mythos. Yeah. Um, what do you think? I've, I know like we probably kind of wrap, wrapping it up here, but I just have one, one more like kind of like thematic or questionable aspect of the movie. The monster is portrayed as this, or referred to as this malevolent force. You know, as, as you pointed out, and is the one of the villains of this movie. What? When do they? And then Scott Glenn's character shows up. He's like, "I put the, I put, I trapped Radu in there to, to protect the world." All we see the monster do is kill Nazis, get mad when he finds out that the Nazis are. Uh, you know, rounding up and exterminating Jews, which Radu refers to as his people. 
And he saves Ian McKellen's daughter from being raped by a Nazi. What's so bad about Radu Molisar? Seems like a pretty cool dude. Yeah, he's a real stand-up guy. Yeah. Except then he tricks Ian McKellen by restoring his health and youth. Yeah. And says that he will go and, uh, you know, once he gets out of the keep, he's just going to go around killing Nazis and bad people. But Scott Glenn is like, that's not really what he's about. He's just going to kill everybody. We hear, we hear, we hear him say that, right? But why did he? But but we never, um, we hear, we hear Scott Glenn say that, but we never actually see Radu fulfill anything that would. He does have an action that really suggests that to be true. Why do we just take Scott Glenn's word for it? Oh no, because they, also, they explain wh- it. They he target Molisar targets him because of his purity, and he's right, he sort of true. sees a. He sees him as a target. He's okay, like he, why... he 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 did that specifically That's to true. like. That's true. Yeah, it was actually explained. You're right. That's yeah. true. I don't know. It's just kind of funny though. I think like maybe that's one of those things where like we could have gotten a little bit more inkling of him being actually nefarious, you know, like or seeing like a double side of of him because at first it just kind of like seems like a cool guy. I like Radu. Yeah. That and that's where it was like that was another piece where it felt like there was some stuff missing, like like a slower been... a slower reveal of his of his uh, evil intentions. Yeah, just a little bit of like vagueness continuing yeah. with that. Yeah, I also didn't like the that my maybe my big complaint is I didn't like the voice of Molisar. It was too much of just a generic monster voice. I would have liked it to be like low and quiet and like a little more kind of like ethereal it's actually a little bit kind of it's a little high it's like something you would hear in like a conan movie or something yeah and i liked it once we see the him in his final form i thought i thought it worked better in his final form well yeah that's to your point on what we were just talking about it should have changed it should have been sort of like benevolent and ethereal mm-hmm. to start with. And then once he flips the switch, then it just turns into like, he sort of reveals himself. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I'm half and half on the voice overall, man. Like, I don't know. Like what's your ultimate recommendation on this movie? Oh, it's definitely worth a watch. Just like yeah. I said, don't watch it too closely. <laughs> I would say watch it closely. Enjoy the flaws. Enjoy the, enjoy the, if there I mean, was a coffee table book of all the best looking scenes yeah. and shots, I would love to own that. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like, I don't know. To me, sometimes I'm fat. I'm fascinated by when a movie can be like, I mean, that's a big portion of what this, our show itself is, but when a movie can like blunder so hard in cer- certain areas and still be awesome, you know, it's like the, you know, like let me let me look let me look at those flaws, completely juxtaposed to the awesome parts, and see how it's pulling off this magic trick of like making me like it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, so I would one hundred percent recommend this movie. I think it's you definitely fall into its vibe, and it's like it's more like an ex- you're watching an experience than watching a storyline. So I don't really care that the story doesn't make a lot of sense. No, and compared and, you know, to a lot of movies made today, it is yeah. like a feast for the eyes. Right. And I think, you know, if this movie had been a hit, I don't, you know, because it's, you know, like 
Michael Mann has disowned this movie and blah, blah, blah. And like one of the reasons why it's never gotten like a bigger release is because he won't cooperate. And, you know, in a, in a DVD, like he's uses kind of his leverage as a, you know, as a big, powerful director now to kind of keep it from getting re-released. Um, and I bet you if this movie had been financially successful, he would claim a lot more credit for it. Oh, without question. You know, and he would say like, yeah, we had some, you know, I didn't really kind of get like what I wanted in this scene, but I'm very proud of the, the movie overall. And it really, I really captured the dreamlike aspect of it that I was going for and blah, 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 blah. You know, you know, it is what it is, but it is definitely a worthwhile movie to watch and definitely an oddity in a director's filmography that, that you think, you know, like you, you think you might know what this guy is kind of about, but you you don't type of thing if you haven't seen this movie so anyway any other final thoughts on the keep or does that kind of wrap it up for you nope i'm keeping it to a minimum (laughs) all right well this was episode 99 coming up we're gonna finally hit it 100 is the next one what is gonna happen what are we gonna talk about who's gonna be on it we have no idea genuinely nobody knows maybe it'll be r.i.p.d the rest in peace department starring ryan reynolds and jeff bridges Maybe we'll just talk about our favorite brands of muffins all day long. I don't know, but there's only one way for you to know, and that's to tune in next time, whenever that occurs. So thanks for listening, everyone. And Keith, what do you always say? Nightmares? Look, man, the real nightmare man has been made upon other men in this war. The bad dreams of your keep are nursery rhymes by comparison. And until next time, the dumpster is closed. I mean, look at that right there. A line like that in, in a movie, and you're, you're, we're going to say that this movie is bad. Get out of town. Balderdash. Balderdash. Gabriel Byrne asks, Radu, where do you come from? And he goes, I come from you. And then crushes his head. Magic. Show's over. Everybody go back to doing what you were doing.